Our fourth podcast is focusing on the West Ham United Foundation and how West Ham's community work has developed over the years. As any old Lions, we're part of the Foundation's story, and to help us bring it to life today, we're chatting with Foundation CEO Joe Lyons and West Ham United legend Tommy Cotty. So here we are in 2020 with an award-winning foundation, fantastic support from players through the Players Project, and exciting, uh, excitingly the next uh, home fixture, uh, the Hammers Hammers versus Wolverhampton Wanderers, and that will feature awareness for the foundation. Joe, you've been in charge of the foundation now for quite a number of years. Can you please tell us how you feel about any up-and-coming fresh plans and the key strengths of the foundation as you see them? So, uh, firstly, thank you for inviting me along here today. It's a, it's a pleasure to um, speak to you guys uh, because you've actually been a part of our journey um, since 2015. 2000, you showed me a picture of that very day, yeah, 2015. 2015 yeah. And look, to be honest, I think um, I, I can reflect on West Ham uh, from the last uh, nearly seven years, um, of which uh, our, um, our first ever encounter with our, it wasn't any old irons then, but that group, sport, sporting, sport, sport, sporting yeah. stories, exactly. Um, and I think what, what we approach, what, I suppose the way we approached our... Um, the development of the foundation because it wasn't a foundation in 2013 when I arrived it was a community sports trust we kind of said look what what does what do we stand for what do we um what are we trying to develop under the umbrella of a fantastic magnificent football club and I think obviously the um uh, when I arrived in 2013 the 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 Olympic Stadium move was in planning it was uh, ready to be uh, activated in 2016 mm -hmm. and I think everyone felt that actually we probably needed to grow we needed to to, to really represent what East London uh, wanted us to be what the traditional West Ham fans wanted us to be uh, what the club wanted us to be and I think we, we, we acknowledge and we reflected that we weren't quite there the Ennial Lions is actually a great example of we, we explored a number of different programs that we could fill that we would bring value to. Now, I'd go back slightly, you know, 30 years, if we're looking at the 30 year anniversary uh, at the Wolves match, um, none of the community schemes up and down the country were foundations or trusts. Yeah. This was literally off the back of a PFA initiative called Football in the Community, um, looking at the welfare of ex-football players. So they were then being, you know, uh, at their local club, um, uh, uh, the club would offer them an opportunity to maybe go into a school, uh, do some coaching. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. You know, this is yeah, you know, at thirty years ago. There yeah. was a number of players that were, were, were given that opportunity. Um, so actually, as a sector within the the third sector, the charitable, <coughs> the, the, the football club community sectors, um, we're, we're relatively new. Um, as I say, I've been here seven years, uh, and and over those seven years, even I've seen huge growth in terms of the technical work that we are now involved with as a charity. Um, so look, I'm, I'm delighted uh, that um, a I'm here, b I'm able to celebrate the uh, the 30th anniversary of of the club's community um, uh, um, arm of, of of its football club, um, and see. To be, to be speaking to you as, a, as an example of a, a, a unique, innovative approach to, to a community programme that we started in 2015. 
Thank you, Joe. Um, I believe the Foundation now is involved in approximately 30-plus different areas of work. So, Tony, why do you think that the fans clearly embrace the community aspects so much? Well, I think that, that key word... Hello, John. Hello, Eileen, by the way. Um, I think the key word is the community. And, you know, my, my background... Um, I always say, first and foremost, I'm a West Ham fan. I'm not a player who became a fan. I'm actually a fan. And my family um, was from the East End. Grew, you know, My first house was in East Ham where there was a real community feel and everyone was living together. I'm sure you remember those good old days. And, uh, of course... I think um, I think things have changed. You know, a lot of people have moved out, gone into Essex or wherever they might have gone. But I think in terms of the community, we still feel the community aspect because of the club. And you know, for me, West Ham is the most special club in the world. Um, beyond my family, it's the most important thing in my life. I've got, I make no bones about that. Um, but I feel part of the family, and I feel part of the community as well. And you know, I've been very privileged from the point of view that I play for the football club. Now that I'm back to being a fan and, and I've had that privileged lifestyle, you know, I, I feel that I want to want to give something back as well. And I think, you know, being part of the foundation, I'm going to work closely with Joe. We've only just really got together over the last year or so, but I've been involved already with a couple of great projects. And, you know, I want to give something back as well. But it's that the community, the family, it's hard to explain. You, you, you know what I'm saying here because you're, you're East End people and, you know, we, we, we see each other as, as a family. And if you talk to someone and they say... I'm a West Ham fan and you feel like you've got a connection with them and I think that's what it is the community and the, as the aspect of doing that and doing things together and for me the opportunity to give something back Thank you I would agree with you that I think community is, is really the essence of West Ham United Football Club Yeah, and, and the club is really the centre of East End life in, in many respects Yeah. So, so Eileen thinking about the East End in the past um, what would you say life was like in East London in the 1990s, 30 years ago, when times were then different and perhaps different needs now for, for the local community. How do you to reflect on those times 20, 30 years ago and compare them with, with today? Well, I'm thinking that my son would have been 14 then, just starting at some ventures. But where we lived, we, we had, his nan and granddad lived around the corner. He had an aunt around the other corner, another aunt. Um, we knew all the neighbours, they were all auntie and uncle. Um, you know, the same population, everybody knew everybody else. There's a lot of stability, like in the area, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of if you had to go somewhere, someone would, you know, do something for you. And yeah, there's a big community spirit, and people didn't move away then. You know, there were lots of jobs in, in London, and people didn't need to move away for work. And yeah, it was just a great community atmosphere. And going back on, on the history of West Ham, I think I've said before, um, my grandson is six, he's the fifth generation. My granddad was born in 1890, and he was the first West Ham supporter. So we, we're now on our fifth generation. I tell my boys exactly the same thing. Don't worry, I'm going to say, when you have your sons, they're sixth uh, generation, uh, and you just pass and it actually, on. actually, my sons often tell me, Mum, why did you start the song West Ham? <laughs> <laughs> they say the same to me as well, don't worry. <laughs> why didn't you start the song somebody else? Yeah. So, so we've seen you all, haven't we? I, but it is a family. It is a family thing, isn't it? You know. And you make an interesting... Uh, point Eileen in terms of when you talk about 30 years ago and aunties you know and so yeah. on and the community yeah. feeling yeah. that you had very locally um, without drawing any conclusion to potentially how East London has changed how London has changed how England UK yeah. Europe has changed yeah. do you think that because of all of that that programs like any old irons are, are, are required are needed yeah 
So would they have been needed 30 years ago? Well, I think as well, um, a lot of West Ham fans now have got different backgrounds, but West Ham is the theme. So when they join a country meeting, they talk about their experiences. And then when you get chapter, they tell you a bit about their own backgrounds, you know, they come from other countries, other cultures. And But West Ham is the main thing that just ties everyone together in East London. Yeah. It, it ties, you know, it, it's something that we all are interested in and everybody wants to know the score and... Even if they just want to avoid the traffic on match days, you know, they don't want to go to the ground. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just a big part, you know, and everyone, I mean, my children have a terrible weekend if they lose. I mean, everyone's miserable for the whole weekend if they lose. It's just how it is, isn't it? Right, Arlene, but, you know, there are also places that people revere uh, from, from those days and um, perhaps missed to some extent now. People still, although it's still there, people still talk about Ken's calf. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> as being a, a, a place of historical interest, really. Um, pubs in those days used to stay open late and have evening entertainment after after a match day. There used to be a bingo hall down the Barking Road, uh, and all those things people remember with with fondness. But times have changed, um, and inevitably we we all have to move on and, and reflect those changes as well. But Tony, when you were a player in the in the eighties, long serving player, uh, and you returned in the nineties as well. Um, how do things how are things different for you as a player in, in those days and um, how has the situation changed now with the, the move from, from Upton Park to, to the London Stadium um, well I, I think in, in the 80s um, I think in, in a way yeah, I think we've all sort of touched on it it almost wasn't a need for the sort of the community thing because you had it Eileen didn't you mm. you had your own community and you had your own clubs and pubs and Cafes and everything—it was all on tap for everyone. So, from a playing point of view, um, oh, it's a long, long time ago, but through memory, you know, we didn't do too much in terms of giving back to the community. Not because we didn't want to, but because there wasn't a, a need, and the, it wasn't coordinated. And you know, as we know, football was very, very different back in the nineteen eighties. You, know, you know, there was a big depression in football in the eighties. So I don't remember. I remember doing coaching in the schools, like what you touched on, Joe. I remember doing that. Every now and again, you do something, and you know the players were always up for doing things, but there wasn't. It wasn't coordinated. It was very off the cuff, and, and like know, hospital you, visits. Yeah, exactly. Like hospital visits and Christmas. Certainly the Christmas visits and that. So there was that going on. And then I think when I came back in the nineties, so I was away for six years at Everton. I came back in the nineties, and it was a little bit more coordinated. As you touched on, things were just starting to probably change in the East End. Um, so there was there was more things going on. But in terms of comparing it with 80s and 90s with today, I think it, you cannot compare it. I don't think you can compare it in any shape or form. I think what the club does now, um, how well organised it is, the job Joe does, you know, yeah. the, the Dan and everyone behind the scenes at West Ham is an incredible effort to really, really give something back to the fans and the community. And I think that's really, really important. You know, footballers get a bad name because they, they're they in the newspapers and people are reading about, I don't know, whatever they might have done. And everyone reads about that. But what people don't always see is the good things they do. And that, that annoys me as an ex-footballer because I think there's a lot of players, you know, I know a lot of players, I go to the training ground quite often and a lot of the players give an awful lot back. There's a lot of them have their own charities. They'll give money, they'll give time. and But... That's that's good. That, that that's good news. People don't want to read about the good news. They want to read about the bad. And I understand that. But it's really really important that 
that the current players give something back and, and I just want to reassure everyone in the room that that is what the players do and you know that Joe. And in, ter- in terms of the, if there was a rationale behind what our players project um, as, a, as an idea, as a, as a way of engaging um, these good, sco- good causes, good stories, the players project sums it up for us. Yeah. So what we, what we decided two years ago now was looking at the players do give back. They do have interests. They're, they're, they're young, they're young men, you know, and women with the with our women's team coming into uh, into the club as well. So what we agreed is that actually to get the players to 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 kind of own certain projects that they have a um, have a, a an affiliation to or have an interest in. That's really been the success of what the players' project is. So yes, you're right. We've got over thirty odd projects, and there's lots of other things that the um, are done outside the foundation with the club. So for example, the shuttle service on a match day. You know, it's a fantastic service that the club give. That you know, this is something that they're proud of. So actually, when we got Robert uh, Snodgrass, who actually decided and said, "I want to go and see this," so we got on the bus. We I wanted. might know, but I know someone who was on there and they chatted him all the way and said yeah, how lovely yeah. he was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. actually on the bus I think he did a number. I think he, went, he did yes, a few yes. to and fro's from, uh, yeah. from the station. <laughs> and so what I'm left with after uh, we've had our anniversary back in November uh, for the Players Project, which I know you did a live podcast there as well um, uh, with some of the men, um, women and academy uh, scholars. What I'm left with is that actually the longer we do this, the better it's going to become because you're going to have uh, more consistent uh, um, approach in terms of for the likes of a, a Mark Noble or a Questwell who really are starting to get engaged and understand the work we do around poverty you're going to have other players that for example with loneliness we're talking we're getting players that are um, you know we had Adrian in the first year who just absolutely like we didn't have to ask him twice to come to come back to yeah. um, they took him upstairs in a bar and he had a game of darts <laughs> but it, but, but <laughs> and this... they came to our Christmas dinner a pie and mash Christmas yeah. dinner yeah, yeah, yeah. and we had Dion Masuaku and HM yeah. and, and the ladies were harassing them with mistletoe yeah. <laughs> it was brilliant lovely <coughs> lovely day I think you'll find that the players will want to give more as yeah. the years go by yeah. it's not going to decrease in terms of yeah. the players effort and time it's going to increase because the players are much more aware than in my day and they yeah. they, they want to give it back because they're quite players, shy when they first come but once they get yeah, to everyone and but they're about normal people because they have That's to the be thing. guarded yeah. don't they the they're players not, they have to be people. careful what they yeah. say and, and of course you've got the phone cameras and everything yeah, else. so that's, that makes it difficult yeah. for players but players the one thing players do have is quite a lot of time on their hands yeah. because you can't train 24 yeah, hours a day because then you're knackered on a Saturday and then yeah. you lose every game and everyone's mm-hmm. moaning so you have to coordinate the training to to peak and a lot of training sessions are only 90 minutes long yeah. and, and and then in the afternoon the players have got time so yeah. obviously my generation there was probably more time spent yeah. doing things we shouldn't be doing but now I think the players they get it and they want to give back to the club they want to give back to the community and I think that's really really good they're doing a brilliant job they are doing a fantastic job there's no doubt uh, that the annual Lions have been very very fortunate in, in the involvement we've had from the players um, and we, we very much appreciate of that. But I mean, some of them have been really worthy of highlighting. And uh, we, had, we actually had uh, one session where we had two youngsters from the um, from the under uh, under twenty three team come to see us. Um, they rolled up in a, a car which didn't seem roadworthy. Uh, <laughs> somebody got out of the, out of the car who looked as though we should really have been in school and not part of, of, of the club at all in some respects. Um, and he and his mate came in to join us. 
And it was Dan Kemp, um, who's now on loan, and Declan Rice. Um, and we, they were with us for the, the whole of the afternoon. We engaged very, very well. But this is before Declan was well known by anybody else. He hadn't made his first team debut. Um, and they engaged with us and promised to come back. Um, and that was before um, wonderful things happened to them in the world of football. Uh, and that's been a highlight uh, for, for me for, for recent times as well. But it also goes the other way. And I think, Tony, you, you're quite right in what you say, that the players also have their needs. And it's quite clear from the, the people who come to us <coughs> in recent times that they want to talk about their story. They want to talk about their life, life opportunities and things that have happened to them. And uh, they've been quite forthcoming in those respects, uh, particularly post-playing period when their life might well have had some level of turbulence, yeah. um, the career pathway which might be more straightforward for many people, for footballers is not the case. Um, and there have been lots of hiccups at times, difficulties, <coughs> traumas, before they found their feet again, post-playing retirement, and often moved into coaching or working with schools, or done other work of a social nature. Um, so it's important for the players also to have the opportunity to pass on that information as part of their story, as well as all the grandeur and the glories of their playing days, uh, which we all obviously all remember and, and enjoy as well. But we have been very fortunate amongst the annual Lions in having that kind of uh, opportunity, which doesn't fall, fall to everybody. And it was quite an eye-opener, actually, because you only hear the, the side of footballers' life that's all glamour and whatever, mm. but people with children, you know, and, and settled, and then, right, you're moving next week, you're going... You know, and you've got yeah. to uproot. You're like a nomad, really. You, you don't seem to have a lot of control over your own <coughs> life, really. But there's an, there's an element that you touched on, um, which you're never going to be able to, um, you're never going to be able to evidence uh, the, the impact it did have. However, a young Declan Rice going to a very interactive session with a lot of people that, you know, there's a lot of energy, a lot of love for West Ham, a lot of... Um, positive, um, it was a very positive environment. What impact did that have on Declan Rice in terms of his confidence as a player? And, and I, I say that, I, I don't mean to be flippant when I say that, but um, think about, I think there's a, I think we're up to about 300 hours worth of player visits this year alone. So you think about the approach we're having with our players' projects, not only with any old irons, but with across the 11 strands that we operate, right? Uh, um, and we get our players to visit men's, women's academy, This what we're looking to do this year is really evaluate the impact it's having on the players, on the participants, um, on the programmes, because up and down the country there isn't, a, there isn't a model for this. Some clubs really do struggle versus I think what we've shown is that actually if you approach it right and get the buy-in from your players, they get to have an element of choice rather than being potentially told, right, you're going to a yeah. X, Y and Z session. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it can only be positive because, as Tony said, there, these are these are human beings, young. These are young men and women. That this is quite an influential time for them in terms of the the impact they might get from a from an any answer. So I can't give you credit for Declan Rice's success, but in these four walls, I think it was down for that. Similarly, we've also been very much embraced by members of the women's team. Yeah, yeah. Because we've had involvement with them, particularly. Um, the previous season when, when they made the, the FA Cup final at Wembley and had massive support from them. And we, we were mascots with the women's team uh, on, on several occasions, really. Um, and I think that's an important element of, 
the work as well to give them some identity and, and, and worth and, and merit for all the work that, the, that they have achieved yeah. in addition. Tony, you've also been involved in, in other areas. You've been part of, of uh, many foundation activities, uh, including the twinning project at Chelmsford Prison mm-hmm. and also the Premier League Kicks programme. Can you talk us through some of those experiences? Yeah, well, well, as I said, John, I mean, I've only really, really got involved in the last year. So um, I I enjoy both. I I, I mean, going to Chelmsford Prison for me was (laughs) such an eye-opener because, you know, touch wood, I've not been to prison before and touch wood, I won't be going to prison after. And, um, you know, to go there, I went with uh, Mikel Antonio, who's a great lad as well. And, you know, we spent time and... I think we both bat our eyes open, you know, with what was going on. Um, but, you know, to, to, to be in prison must be, you know, to, I can't imagine what sort of state of mind you must be in when you're in prison, but to just have some sort of light at the end of the tunnel and to be able to, to get involved with some coaching. We had our coaches there on the day who were, were helping the guys. Coaching, yeah, yeah, coaching. And these guys have got an opportunity to come out and actually get involved in what oh, they're doing inside brilliant. the prison. Yeah. And so, that, I mean, that was really, really good. I really enjoyed that. Um, and then it was only, I think it was only about two or three weeks ago, I went down to uh, to Beckton, uh, met the police commissioner, Cressida Dick, yes, which was so a right. real experience. She, she was shirt, a lovely, lovely lady. I'm, yeah. I'm convinced her to be a West Ham fan <laughs> yes, now. So we're all sort with that. She had a shirt. <laughs> so um, it was lovely to meet her. And again, I mean, you know... It, this is like a, a coaching thing, and for the for the players to come along, uh, for the young kids to come along, and in the, and I asked the question: Is it open to everyone? And it, it's open to everyone. You know, it's it's not like you've got to know someone and know something to get in. It's like it was. It's open to the local community. We keep talking about the community and the local kids, and these kids could just literally walk off the street, come in, and join and participate yeah, in the training session and that. And you know, we all know what's going on in London and how difficult it is for young kids. So anything that that gives. The kids, something else, a distraction, something else to do, something positive. And, you know, I, I honestly believe that football is the most, it can be the most game-changing thing in the whole world. And when people say, what do you mean by that? And I, I always say that if you went into deepest Africa and you took, I don't know, the Queen, Boris Johnson and David Beckham, I reckon the kids would probably recognise David Beckham more than the other two. Maybe not the Queen, because the Queen's lovely, you know. But you know what I'm trying to say? The power of football is so unbelievable. And the two projects that I've just spoke about, the Chelmsford Prison and going to the community centre, were two, for me, fantastic things that the, the club are putting on and are involved with that actually make a real difference yeah. to people's lives and help them, because it's, it's tough out there. It really is tough. To join some dots together there, um, the twinning project... Um, is a, a very new scheme um, came out of uh, um, the idea of, of David Dean and the Arsenal chairman, um, who, following obviously stepping away from day to day role at Arsenal, I still can't believe it, has been around to the 112 prisoners himself personally mm. and to do motivational speeches, talk to mm. prisoners. And it was probably, I don't know, it, 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 I don't think I've heard when it was during that process, but. Uh, maybe after going to 50 or 100 he's probably thinking actually there's something here so his twinning idea for his charity that he is basically twinning every single prison up and down the country with its local football team yeah. our local prison is uh, is Chelmsford as, as it um, I suppose a fan base um, and a location goes and actually if you collectively bring together the power of football 
to give people who are you know they're serving time for uh, you know they're, they're, they're doing they're doing their time of which at the end of that process if we can give them something to come out with a skill set a qualification a network the social capital they're building while they're in prison to come out with a positive outcome uh, you I, I, we don't know exactly because um, you know we, we've just delivered it to the first 16 cohort I think we had something like 60 people on the waiting list now because they've heard such good reports the the police um, uh, sorry the, the, the prison um, Governor Penny was saying how uh, how amazing this has been for for her to see the impact that football can have and it, it kind of all came to came to a head when uh, Tony and uh, um, Mikhail and David came down as well um to, to see the to see the celebration event again join the dots with the kicks program kicks for us is 10 years old over 10 years old and we've seen the amount of positive engagement we've had for our young people our, again the power of football and kicks isn't west ham's this is up and down the country via the premier league and football league clubs what we're all trying to do now is in terms of the the development development of a, of a foundation so about 30 years into this whole journey for us we can really um technically and systematically join pathways for young people pre you don't you know you don't want them to go to prison so give them the best opportunity to not take those paths to not have that journey but on the flip side grab people when they come out of that system and positively turn them into role models and so they can go back to a kick session for example and that's with these two programs we want to get um, ex-offenders coming out having positively engaged with with uh, the 20 project and West Ham and you know with the great respect to me or, and or Tony um, us speaking to these kids at the age of 15 16 17 isn't isn't going to be as powerful as someone who comes out and says listen I, I've been I've been I, I've done my journey right and it was the bad choices and these were the choices I made and the, the positive approach they would have back on these young people so I think look it's a good example of the two programmes one of the young lads as well with the kid Kicks yeah. was was um, he come as a young young boy and then he was now the coach he was yeah. now coaching and yeah, yeah. telling everyone you know, come, get off the streets come and play football and it was just it was brilliant but it really it's very important the coaching rather than just yeah. chatting to people which I thought you were going to do mm. coaching brilliant isn't it yeah no they get coached they get someone like me they get some a current player like Mikhail so they, there's a real mixture it's important to get the mixture and cater for everyone which is what we're trying to do going back to the feelings of football we did walking football with the foundation our five-a-side team the combined age was about 400 and there's nothing like scoring a goal honestly that's the one thing (laughs) I miss miss. even in old ladies brilliant absolutely brilliant touching on that theme that you you just made Tony about about somebody who had been in trouble and and then had become a coach themselves that's part of evolution isn't it yeah and even the annual Lions are in the process of evolution at the moment because in recent uh, times, uh, a number of our members have visited schools in Essex, made their contribution with younger, younger students, primary students as well, which has proved to be very positive. And we may be moving into another area next week because <laughs> we're at that stage where the annual Lions singing group um, is now going How's to have your voice? <laughs> Not brilliant. Is <laughs> <laughs> going to have its first uh, first major rehearsal next week. I'm um, not quite sure how that would go, but I guess. There must be a very fair chance that, that will eventually involve us taking part in community links and visiting community areas as well and, and giving some pleasure and entertainment. Assuming the thing will be of a high quality, of course, um, but that's where we, we suspect that's where we are. Uh, so, without putting a marker down, you know, Chris, whatever match day on, at Christmas time, 
up in the lounges down on pitch side. We'll be looking for a, a quiet one. Yeah, the match day fee would still need to be negotiated. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. John was telling us when he taught in school with the children, if they have bad voices, you put them in the back row. Yeah. So the back row is going to be very full yeah. <laughs> at the end of the Tom Jones is still going. Our old Tom Jones, so there must be some good voices. At the end of the day, everybody is welcome. It's an all-embracing uh, group. Um, Regardless of the quality of the voice, it does not matter. It's important uh, for people's well-being in all respects. Yeah. Um, and we have up to 30 people who have uh, indicated they're going to come next Tuesday. And we have the songs ready. Um, Feel a number one coming on. <laughs> I'm forever blowing bubbles. Well, that's part of the process as well. But it's what the people want to sing. But yeah. again, going back to the point I was making, that this is an evolution. We're now hopefully going to be able to give back to the community, having gained so much from... Uh, the foundation ourselves so perhaps uh, watch this that's space that's not giving them back isn't it making them listen to <laughs> it depends what, what the sounds like <laughs> we will have wonderful rehearsals next year they can select their own songs. We have quite a selection of songs Good. of all kinds. Uh, I wish you luck with that John. <laughs> I'm very confident. Okay um Joe, next uh, next thing on the agenda is the West Ham game versus the Wolves, so we've gone on Saturday. Um, they haven't come a fixture. We'll see a celebration of the 30th anniversary on that occasion. What are the aims for it, Joe? So as I, as I mentioned, this has uh, been uh, a kind of a, a, a fluid journey for 30 years. There's been certain um, milestones that we've grabbed. So, for example, uh, in 2015, in and around the time we actually piloted the NLD Irons. Um, we relaunched the Community Sports Trust into the foundation because we felt we were getting involved in a lot more technical pieces of work that actually a Community Sports Trust probably didn't give um, the understanding to be able to do. Um, and I think, again, we're using this as a milestone to say we have evolved ourselves. You know, we, we, For example, we're working with NHS England, we're working with the local CCGs to really combat some, some quite, again, technical, clinical uh, issues that the country is facing now. Again, 30 years ago, or even five, 10 years ago, you'd say, why is a football club doing that? And I think we're using this opportunity to do, for me anyway, two things. One is to raise the awareness across um, the football club platforms. So again, um, I don't know what the survey would be, but if you went out and asked the uh, million plus fans they know about the foundation, you know, they might again go back to a, to a conversation that, Tony had there saying, well, it's a community club, of course they must have a community department. But actually to really put the foundation on the map saying, look, as, as fans, be proud of your foundation. And I think that's really crucial for us is to say, we, we're here for the club. We are here to operate as their community arm, to do their outreach work, to engage with their community partners from the heart of East London here now in, in E20, all the way out, to, I would say out the A12 and the A13. But now if you look at the international fan groups, yeah. Uh, all around now this is a worldwide um, football club right and I think the second thing for me really is to to um, to present the actual detail of our department as a charity again you've got a, a vast range of, of scale of a charity you could have a, a non-for-profit a couple of volunteers as a charity versus what we are we are um, I would say slowly but it hasn't been a it's been quite a quick uh, journey over the last seven years we've grown into quite a big charity now and what we do is we're now, um, for example, looking how we can we can scale certain pieces of work. 
any old irons. Case in point, we're looking at, okay, this is great for us. We've got a really good model. We're, we're happy with the aims, objectives of what we're trying to do, what um, Maria is working with, the newly set up uh, NL Lions um, board in terms of what the development and the evolution of that group could be. Now, I always look with one eye outside West Ham and say, well, if this is doing such a good job for um, uh, older communities in and around East London and or, or on our patch, why couldn't that be the same in Manchester, Birmingham, Leeds, you name it. There's 92 football clubs in this country, professional football clubs, of which all have roots, communities, community schemes. So again, we're looking at one eye saying, yeah, we're really happy with how, what we've been able to do over the last 30 years. But with subjects like social care, with subjects like health, with subjects like education, employability, how can we really expand this to... I don't want to say unfortunately, but unfortunately solve some of the problems that our, our communities and societies face and, and potentially what the government um, would struggle to do, right? Would struggle to do because of how they're evolving as a as, as um, becoming less locally focused. So look, this, this game is really positive for those two reasons for me, um, but also to celebrate, right? To celebrate a 30th year moment and look forward for the next five, 10 years. Joe, thank you for summing up in such a detailed way. We thank you for entertaining us today and having members of the NU Alliance present and uh, wish you and the Foundation and Tony and all your work the very, very best for the future. And you have our heartfelt thanks for all that you have done for us. Thank you so much. John, I think thank you very much. Keep up the good work. I loved it when I came to Benfleet to see you guys. Keep up the good work. Good luck with the singing as well. (laughs) Any requests? (laughs) Bubbles. Best song in the world. It's always on the agenda. Good. I did. This might be one of the outtakes here, but I did hear you nearly. um, You nearly all got. uh, asked politely to leave a certain pub over Christmas because you it, it was gone past lock in. There was you know you're into the early hours of the morning. You wouldn't leave because you were singing. So I think it was at the rehearsal. Is it, you know, we, is there going to be any? Do I need to know about any complaints coming from any pubs or? Well, we have or, one you know? particular member who's obsessed with karaoke. We have to pull her off sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think she'll be looking for a, a solo spot in the choir. She, she has a special song. She, she has a solo. Um, and that's included in our, our practice for next week. Okay. Uh, but she'll have to have a duet or, or more than that with everybody else joining in. <laughs> is that solo as in when she sings the whole pub leaves? Is that, is that what you mean by the solo? Not quite. Not quite. She's a good singer. She will be an asset to our group. <laughs> <laughs> we wish you luck. It's been a pleasure to talk to you both. Thank, Thank you. you all very much Thank indeed. You. Thank you.